Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode number 26. Welcome to Positive Productivity Podcast, where we empower our audience to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success, especially in the face of adversity. Listen in as our guests reveal their stories of challenges and hurdles and how they overcame defeat and became triumphant in their endeavors. Let's get motivated and move forward with your host, Kim Sutton. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I am thrilled to have Shauna Zingra. I got that right, right? You did. From SRP Consulting, Shauna is a business strategist who creates systems, tools, and processes to help businesses plan, perform, and profit. Welcome, Shauna. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. Oh, I'm thrilled that you are here. And listeners, just so you know, because this is just part of me being more transparent than I probably should be. We had such a fabulous pre-chat chat, if that's what I should call it, that some of our pre-chat is going to be inserted into this because I don't want you to miss all the fabulous conversation that we had before. But with that said, Shauna, can you tell us about what you do and your journey up till now? Sure. So my uh, journey up to now, I think, has been sort of typical and atypical because we all have our own story. I was working for a company. Uh, actually, I'll back up. Um, I spent a lot of years working with companies to help them increase their revenue through increased delivery uh, strategy to really get them making more money and serving their clients better and streamlining the process. And I was working for a company that was so poorly run. And of course, I didn't realize that when I took the job, it was one of those things that you learn as you're going through your job journey. <laughs> the questions you should ask, like, do you have enough money to cover payroll? And I was not getting paid and my health insurance was getting canceled. Oh and I gosh. thought, oh, it was, yes, it was very stressful. And I was working, you know, crazy hours because the client still needed to be serviced, but I wasn't getting a paycheck. And I thought this you know, train is going off the cliff. I need to, to do something. And I started looking for another opportunity. And I was very fortunate. I had some offers, but I thought, you know, I've always wanted to go out on my own. I've run a couple of businesses previously. And I thought there, there's no time like now I have absolute right now. I have absolutely nothing. I'm working 80 hours a week and getting no paycheck. I have nothing. I have nothing to lose. And so I started my business in three days. I kind of made the decision to start a business instead of taking a job. And I started in three days. I was very fortunate in the sense that I was so focused. My entire goal really was to replace a paycheck. And I brought on consultants within the first couple of days, just because I was able to sign a lot of work in the first you know, three days kind of thing. And my founding premise is if someone ever will go without a paycheck, it will be me. I will never put anyone in a position, you know, where I felt like, what if I can't pay the rent because I don't know I'm going to get a paycheck. And that was really it. I had no real goals of, you know, being a millionaire or any of that kind of stuff. It was just replace a paycheck. And then it had a need for some consultants to service some clients. I knew some people that had, were looking for some work and I thought, this, this will work out nicely. That was my only goal. I had no greater goal than that at the time because I think our first goal always is we need to get to like a survival steady space, right? Where we're not going to be worried about is there enough money for food? And then as my business grew and I realized I was hitting burnout, I was so 
tired and so overwhelmed. And I thought, I can't, like, I can't do this for another 20 years. I can't do this for another 20 minutes. And I started to transition my business a little bit. And I moved into the small business market, which I didn't honestly even really know how large it was. I wasn't aware of the huge number of solopreneurs, small business, you know, the under 10 businesses that existed out there that were struggling. As I started to meet them, I would hear these heartbreaking stories about how they're really struggling to bring in the dollars. And also, as they're struggling to bring in the dollars, in order to get clients, there was this belief you had to have this whole facade. I'm very successful, right? I don't need your business, but I'm happy to take it kind of thing. And it was so heartbreaking to me to see that. And so I realized that a lot of the tools that I had used when I worked in large business and medium business and Fortune 500 were not trickling down to the small business segment. And so they were trying essentially to build a house without any tools or materials at all. And that's when I really started focusing a stream of my business on bringing those tools and those resources to small business, because I think it's really hard for them to succeed the deck is stacked against them. And so that's kind of the journey that brought me here today. That's so fascinating. And I think you touch on so many points, including how many small businesses are out there. I don't think people realize, or I should say people who are not in the small business community, I don't think people realize how many small businesses are actually out there. And no, and there are, I would love to look up a number. I'm going to look up a number after we're done here, but how many small businesses are actually in America? Because yes, even for my husband and I are going through this right now, we're trying to get a mortgage on the house that we've lived in for three years. And the cards are stacked against us because of the fact that we're self-employed, even though there's a good income coming in. Yeah. They'd rather see that he's working a low paying job in retail just so that they think that he has a steady income, which I think is so backwards. It's very backwards. And there are banks now, as we're coming out of the recession, that are looking to lend to entrepreneurs. And also, they're willing to lend to you for your business. And actually, this is one of the things that I go through with a lot of my clients is kind of getting your business established and then paying yourself a salary. Because what the bank wants to see, the reason they love to see, I'm not going to say love, but the reason that they will take a low paying steady job over an steady income of self-employment is because you are less likely to lose or give up your lower paying job because you don't have another option, right? But they know that, you know, if you work at, and I'm not going to try to pick on a on lower paying jobs, but if you work at like a Starbucks or a Target or something like that, those places are pretty steady and they're taking their bet based on the business that you work for, as opposed to a small business that doesn't have necessarily that longevity you know, that history of longevity. So it is starting to shift. And there are ways you can really hedge against that as you start your business and as you grow your business, so that you can be the same as somebody who works for any other company the bank hasn't heard of that's not a multinational, right? Just if you worked for a small business, they're not going to assume that small business is going to go under. But when you own it, and you work for it, they assume that there's a bit of instability in it always inherent. Which is so backwards. I mean, if you look at, in my mind, Sorry, yeah. Bakers, I hope you don't disqualify me for this, but <laughs> I, we're the ones that are working 80, well, way too many hours a week. I'm really trying not to be working 80 hours anymore. I can't remember the last time that I had a typical day 
typical being very loose where, you know, I got home from work <laughs> and that's hard to say too, considering I work at home or I yeah. got home from work, made dinner and then sat down and watched whatever was going on on TV. We are like the most, well, I'm generalizing again, but we are the most motivated and ambitious people. And that's where the burnout comes from. I mean, I don't really see burnout in the corporate world as much, or we don't hear about it as much. Right. And I think we don't hear about it as much because a lot of times, like entrepreneurs will work 80 hours a week to avoid the nine to five. Right. And people who are in the corporate world, I think they're just in a constant state of burnout in the sense that they're not really doing what they love and enjoy, but they're doing what gives them a lifestyle that they love. And so it kind of, it's a, just a different kind of burnout where they're just tired and dreading their job, which is, you know, I think is equally bad as burnout in some ways, but entrepreneurs and small business that, that are growing, that are very committed to their business, not hobbyists, but business people are working 80 hours a week, a lot of times, especially at the start. Right. It's 80 hour weeks. Nobody knows you're there. It seems like nobody cares you're there. You kind of feel like, why am I doing this when it's never going to bear fruit? And it's very frustrating. And I think that's where a lot of the burnout comes is at the start. We go, if I just work a little harder and we sit on that train for a while and then we hit the I've worked so hard and nothing's happening is kind of the progression you usually go through. And just when you're about to give up, you know, like when I have clients who are very frustrated and they're like, I've been trying and trying and trying. And I'll say, okay, what are you doing? Let's look at what you're doing and what we can shift so that we can start to bring in those, some of those results. Because this is not a lack of effort issue. This is maybe a lack of focus. It's not a lack of effort. And I see the frustration. And I'm like, hang on. When, when it's fighting back is when you're really, really close. You know, when you're 100 miles from the finish line, the finish line doesn't care you're coming for it. But when you're really close is when it, I said, when it starts to fight back, you know, you're right there. Oh my gosh. I love how you said that when you get that close, it pushes back. So maybe that's a sign. Yes. I would love I, I that really, was a sign. I really think that it is because the finish line, if we think of, you know, wherever you want to go right now is the finish line, right? There's always going to be a next finish line. Whenever you get there, I think it's like, and I'm not a, I'm not a sports enthusiast, so I don't know if this is a real example, but I always think it's like climbing a hill you know where you want to go, right? You want to get to the top of the hill and you get there and you're like, Oh my God, if I just look up a little bit, there's another hill. But at, you know, when you're, wherever your goal line is for right now, it doesn't get hard. It doesn't get steep until you're close to it. Right. Because that's what you want. And this is the thing that generally you want so badly. You know, you're so close. It's like, I can taste it. Why isn't it here? And I think when it starts to fight back, First of all, it's a lot of resistance we put in our own way because it's scary to get what you want. As long as you don't have what you want, you've got something to work at. It's terrifying to get what you want sometimes. And so we, in addition to the resistance coming from externally, which is far less than we typically, than, than what we think generally, there's a lot of internal resistance going on, right? And that's where we can end up with like some of the self-sabotage and those kinds of things because it can be terrifying I know I remember my first really big month where I had like $163,000 a month. And it was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. And I was run over by a truck once. Like it was scary. Literally and I'm like, run over by a truck? 
Yeah, yeah. When I was nine, I was run over by a truck. <laughs> like, like I have a baseline comparison for frightening, <laughs> and, and I, it was very terrifying to me. And that's, I think, a lot of times is we want something so badly, and there's that fear that sets in as we're getting closer. You know, that's where the pressure comes from a lot of times, I think, as well. Right? Is it gets steeper as we get closer to the top of the hill, but also all of that stuff that starts to come up, like, you know, what if I get this? Then what am I going to do? Right. So I think that there's a lot of that that comes up as well that really starts to push back. And that's what leads to burnout. You know, that pressure we put on ourselves. It's if we treated another person that way, we would be arrested. I always find that so remarkable. The way a lot of times the way we treat ourselves when we're going after a goal or when we're starting, you know, starting a business. If we did that to another person, if we made someone else work 18 hours a day and all of those kinds of things, we would be in violation of 10 laws. Right. But we do it to ourselves because we want it so badly. In 2008, I was, you know, pushing myself that hard. And I actually, well, I was doing it for a couple of years and I was only sleeping two or three hours a night. And long story short, I wound up taking a mini vacation in a mental hospital for a week. Mm -hmm. And the ridiculous thing is, is that it would have been less expensive for me to take a real vacation to the Bahamas and stay in a, not just a five-star resort even though I know that's the highest, but like a 20 star resort, yeah. it would have been less expensive for me to do that and give myself a break than it was for a week in basically what felt like a jail cell. Yes. And I think one of the best things we can do is take time off and it doesn't need to be big blocks, right? It needs to be that time to recharge I know I used to have, and it's only been the last, you know, I, I dramatically reduced my work hours probably about a year ago where I went from those like 80 to 120 hour weeks. And I was like, I am 40 to 50. That's it. Right. I am not working this hard. Like it doesn't matter how much money you have, but you have to, I think, hit that level of having more than enough money to really understand and appreciate the value of the phrase money can't buy happiness. But I, I dramatically reduced my hours, but I still would work. I thought I had reduced my hours and I did, but I would work on client work the majority of the week. And then I would do business development on the weekends. And now I've started actually taking part of the weekend off, you know, where I'm like, you know what, I'm not doing development all weekend. I'm not going to do all of these things. In fact, this past Saturday, I went out for brunch that last ended up lasting for six hours. I'm sure the restaurant was very irritated um, and I did not feel a stitch of guilt. I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this. And, you know, yeah, we talked about some business stuff, but normally I would have felt guilty even now and thought, oh, I should be, you know, doing something because I don't like, you know, my weeks are pretty stacked with client things. And so we always, I think, put ourselves last. We service all of our clients and keep all of those commitments. And then we fit in running our business. And I think if you can just take that time and say, I am the, my business's most important asset and I need to be in peak condition and I can't do that if I haven't slept, I haven't eaten, I haven't exercised, I haven't seen my spouse, I haven't taken care of my kids, their emotional needs, you know, all of those kinds of things. If you don't take care of yourself, you are really devaluing your business's greatest asset. This past summer, so just about five or six months ago, I was in another point that I could see leading into that same point that I was in in 2008. Mm -hmm. And 
thanks to a friend, I found some resources that really helped. And I started sleeping my seven to eight hours a night again. Not that I'm, I'm not saying that there haven't been nights that I didn't get enough sleep because there certainly have. However, I really started taking care of myself, started drinking more water. And when I look at, oh, I just have to spit the name out there. Harvest is my bookkeeping tool. No, I don't Mm -hmm. get an affiliate commission just so you all know, listeners. Um, But when I look at Harvest and I look at what happened before, what my income was before then compared to after mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. It actually doubled after yep. I made those shifts. Yes. Because you are performing at a higher level. Right. And when you're kind of just treading water, we go into this survival survival mode, right? Like I do some neurolinguistic programming with money coaching and our first goal in life is always survival, right? That is the sole purpose of your, your base brain function is to survive. It cannot predict the future. It doesn't care about the future. If you're stuck in the middle of the ocean and all you're doing is treading water, it doesn't occur to you to turn your head to the left and look for land, right? Because you are so focused and I have to get through the next 10 seconds. And when we're in that survival mode in our business and in our life, it is impossible to actually get out of the situation that's dangerous. And I think it's so important to take a breath. And I never used to do this. I was like, if I, I, I can outwork this right? I can outthink this. I can outwork this. And I think that in a lot of ways go back to that superpower woman thing, right? That we're sort of this generation of women is, is being taught and women have done it for years. I'm not devaluating or devaluing the, the you know, previous superpowers that were going on. But I, I think our, when our goal is that, is that survival, it's really hard to even look beyond that and say, it doesn't just have to be about getting through it. No, I mean, the only superhero costume I'm going to put on is for Thanksgiving. Or, yeah, for Thanksgiving. (laughs) The only. (laughs) My husband would love that. The only superhero costume I will put on is for Halloween. I am no superhero on Thanksgiving. Let me tell you, I can burn mac and cheese out of a box. So I stay out of the kitchen on Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's been completely mind blowing the fact that. I can see when that shift happened and know exactly what happened during that time. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have to ask though. So you said you made changes last year and you cut down your, your work hours. Did you put any of your business development tasks into the week where you would have normally had client tasks and what happened to your business as a result of the shifts that you made? So when I went through kind of the first transition, I took a significant drop in, not significant, I took a drop in income. And then within a couple of weeks, as I started kind of going through the transition, it was back to level again, but I didn't have a lot of the overhead because I had a lot of, you know, I, I use consultants part of my businesses as I have the need for them. And as my clients have the need for them, I bring in other consultants. And so when I made that shift, a lot of that, the consultants that went along with that, I found them other placements. And so I didn't have that overhead. I took initially, I took a drop as I was regrouping. And I honestly, I didn't even care. I was like, right now, if I never made another cent, I need some mental peace. If I have to live outside, I will. 
Like that was kind of the, where I was at before I made the transition. And then as I started moving into getting really clear on the service I could bring to another market, right, to another slice of my business, I started to see my income go up slightly because I wasn't entirely sure yet what I was doing. I knew what they needed. I just wasn't sure how to package it and how to get the messaging around it. So I did go through a development period where thankfully I had the investment dollars to really invest in that development. And I started shifting some of that. And a lot of times it would still get done at nights, right? I'm a night person. I am like at my super most creative from like 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. And I have to force myself. If I go to bed early, I'm okay. If I'm up at midnight, I'm like, oh, I'm on a roll. So as I move that stuff more into the week, I found that my income did start to increase and in those new lines that I was bringing up or those new streams of revenue that I was bringing up. But it was hard at the start because the other thing we get addicted to is the busy. We equate, I'm working very, very hard with I'm being very, very productive. And if I'm being very productive, I'm very valuable. And I think that's something that we're taught like in school, right? If you work hard and you get a good mark, that means you're great. And if you're not working hard and you're slacking off and you fail, that means you should try harder. And so I think we've got a lot of judgments and beliefs wrapped up around that idea. And there's almost a prize for who's working the most hours kind of thing, right? In our mind. So I noticed for me, initially I took a dip and I was prepared for that and I was fine with that. And then as I started refocusing my efforts into just one message for my small business segment, that's when I noticed that the dollars started to kind of, you know, they trickle, I would say the trickle flow gush, right? They start to come in slowly. All of a sudden there's a more steady stream. And then you get to the point kind of where the money's rushing in the door is really the goal of business, right? It's kind of the ramp up leading into the windfall. Were you clear on who your ideal client was before you made that transition or did the transition lead you to becoming more clear about who your ideal client was? I had no idea who my client was when I went into the transition. I really didn't. I remember I had never been to any kind of networking event, right? I didn't even know what they were, to be honest with you. And a friend of mine who had a small business, she said, I'm going to this event. Did you want to come? She says, it's for small business. And I went there and I expected to meet kind of like the presidents of smaller banks and smaller insurance companies and small medical companies. That's what I thought of a small business, kind of that under $5 billion range, right? With under a thousand employees. And I went and I met bloggers. I met marketers, like this whole segment of the world I had no idea existed. And I remember sitting in the room and thinking, I don't have anything in call. Like, I don't have anything to say to these people, right? And I just sat and listened And that's when I started to hear about their struggle. And even then, it took me a long time to realize who was at a stage and a level where I could be of value to them, right? Because, you know, the wrong tool is not helpful for anybody, right? It's like if you're in eighth grade and someone comes and gives you a 10th grade algebra textbook, the book itself is not going to help you unless you have the, the kind of a foundation in place. So I had no idea who my ideal client was, it actually completely shifted. I was looking for smaller businesses that were in that kind of one to $5 billion range, right? That was kind of my definition of small business. So I had no idea when I first started to transition. I, fa- I this market in a way found me, to be honest. Wow, one to 5 billion. I mean, that doesn't even fall within my thought of small business. So, not, hey. Not yet, not, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Yeah, it's a gradual. They didn't have that when they started either. You know, Apple started out of a garage. Let's keep some perspective. You know, Apple started out of a garage in their Fortune 3 right now. 
So I, I think the seeds, the seeds are the same, right? It is everything that is huge was not huge when it started. And I think that is so important for people to remember, because if you look at, you know, Oprah, there was a day before Oprah was Oprah, right? She and was Martha working Stewart. hard. Right. And Martha Stewart and all of those people who, who we now look at and go, well, of course it was going to work out for them. Of course, Mark Zuckerberg was going to end up with Facebook. No, he could have ended up being a, a computer programmer, right? When we first start anything, and that's part of the frustration. And that's why I think so many businesses end up folding is because they're expecting and I'm not trying to blame like reality TV shows, but they kind of expect because of things like The Voice and American Idol and all of those shows that make you an overnight anything. That's very rare. It doesn't happen. There's no such thing as an overnight success or, or if there is, it's very rare. But generally an overnight success has been, you know, many years and you can move through it faster. It doesn't have to take 10 years, right? You can get to it faster, but the process has to occur. It's all of that you know, unknown when you're, when you're in the unknown and then all of a sudden it's realized and people start to become aware of you, but we don't ever talk about the struggle, right? We talk about the, I made, just like you were saying, I had a half a million dollar launch. Well, good for you. How many $4 launches did you have? How many launches did you have that you spent 20,000 bucks and made nothing? Talk about that. I'm not saying talk about the negative. I'm saying give a fair and balanced you know, so the people who are sitting there going, well, I would really like a $500,000 launch. Your first launch is probably not going to make you $500,000. That doesn't mean it's not a successful launch. It doesn't mean you didn't learn anything. It doesn't mean it's not the seeds of your half million dollar launch. It means that it needs time to mature. And I think it's so important that people realize that, that business owners realize that when you're toiling in that anonymity and you feel like you're not making headway, that's when all the work is happening. When you get to that half million dollar launch, that's just the result. That's not the cause. It's the result. And I think we, we need to draw that delineation for ourselves and give ourselves a break, basically, and celebrate those seeds because it's the seeds that's going to lead to those huge successes later. My first and second launches made me a whole zero dollars. And that's a successful launch. Oh. Let's be real. That's a oh. successful launch because you didn't lose money. Oh, it absolutely was a successful launch because I later realized that those products were the result of me chasing other people's dreams. Yes. They they were not promoting anything I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. And I think if you can realize when we realize, and I have a program where I walk people through this piece, I can look back now and say, I built a really successful business on a garbage dump, right? Like I built it in a place I did not want to live, not geographically, but I built it so that it made a lot of money and it was burning me out. It made me miserable, you know, and had I given some thought to at the beginning, what do I really want beyond replacing a paycheck? right? Had I done that at the start, it would have been a lot easier, but I wouldn't have learned as much, right? I learned a lot, <laughs> you know, even though it was kind of like a successful failure in the sense that it made money, it, it was a really great learning experience. So I wouldn't trade it, but I wouldn't wish it upon anybody either. Oh, absolutely not. I would rather that positive productivity and the brand make zero and I enjoy what I'm doing until the end of time than 
to ever try to relaunch something that I'm not passionate about. Yes. Because at first, when you're passionate about something and I hear in your podcast, how passionate you are and how honest you are. And the world is, the world needs that. I think the world has had enough of the sitting around by the pool, pretending we're making a bunch of money and the, I won't say lying, but lying that's going on out there. I know when I run, you know, I run Facebook ads, right. For my business. And there are times I'm like, my biggest fear is to look like another one of those frauds. And I'm not saying they're all lying. It's just, if somebody put out an ad that said, you know, Hey, want to be like me? I'm struggling to make money. I'm working like crazy. No one knows who I am. You know, nobody puts out an ad that says that, right? It's all, Hey, I did this. And I, my regs to riches story and all those kinds of things. And I think it's great, right? The overcome, I think is fantastic, but I think we've been too hyped on that and the world is ready for truth now. And I have to believe that because that's what I'm trying to, you know, that's what I'm trying to share. So I, I have no choice but to believe the world is ready for truth. Me too. I am right there. I am ready for truth. And I am loving even just the week that this podcast launched right at the beginning of October 2016, depending on when you're listening. There were some huge posts on Facebook alone about people actually telling what was really going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And that gave me so much faith in what I'm doing because I realized, okay, this is good. I'm not all alone out here being totally transparent and sharing stories about the mental hospital and what it's really like to have five kids and run your own business and how my cats create havoc behind the scenes and listeners if you haven't listened there's an episode back there that tells about how my cats had sex in the view of my first ever client interview <laughs> so, <laughs> I, think, I think that's episode three keep moving forward something like that but yeah things do happen and it's not perfect and if people are trying to convince you that it is perfect, then it's time to run. Yes. Watch your wallet. Cause that is generally part of the sales pitch, but also maybe to anybody who is, is in that I needed to be perfect. And I was like a, a recovering perfectionist. Right. And I still struggle with it sometimes, but every day, honestly, like it's always going to be a thing for me. But if you're stuck in that, it has to be perfect. I can't, I, this is the number one thing, especially, and I hear this, I'm not sure if it's just because I've been speaking more recently at women focused events, but I hear this from women. If anyone knew I was failing, what would they think of me? First of all, who cares, right? Somebody who's going to ride in a limo with you is awesome. You want someone who will push it with you, right? They're not going to be there when you're struggling. Don't let them come to the party when you're not right. So first of all, let go of that idea that it matters what they think. And also the power of just saying, I am struggling. I think acknowledging it, that thought goes through your head a thousand times a day. Let it out and be okay with it. We are all struggling, no matter what level you're at. When money is no longer a struggle, something else will come up to struggle with. Truly, I believe that, right? <laughs> so there's always going to be something that is going to be a struggle in your business or in your life. That's just how it goes. When you wake up in the morning without the baggage of that, I have to have this perfect thing going on. It's so much easier to actually create the imperfect stuff that's going to lead to huge results because it's always a mess in the middle. 
everything successful, it's always a mess in the middle. Shauna, I've never asked this question on the podcast before. Actually, there's three questions. Okay. Is your inbox at a zero right now? Oh, heavens no. Is your desk organized and clean? My desk generally is organized and clean, but I move. I'm like portable, so I move throughout the day. And I, when I feel very chaotic, my desk is clean so that I can go to a clean space. Awesome. When I find myself getting overwhelmed, that's when I clean my desk, but usually it is not. Are there dishes in your sink or do you have clothes in a laundry basket that need to be taken care of right now? Oh, well, yeah, I got a laundry basket. The sink is empty, but I got a laundry basket. Totally. Yes. I need to know how to get a clean sink. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have five kids. So. True. <laughs> Um, but yes, all that chaos is life, right? All that stuff that we're trying to fix and, and avoid is life. And if the worst thing you got is a laundry basket that needs to get to the washing machine and Hey, you got clothes, right? And if you got a sink dishes in your sink, you've had food and all of that mess means that you have enough to at least have stuff. There are people in this world that live without the basic necessities of life. If we can just put some perspective around that and realize that there's no such thing as perfect and imagine how dull that would be anyway. Like if we woke up every day and go, oh, today's another perfect day, right? It's like, no, there's, there's no, that's kind of like a, a constant state of flatline in a way, right? Like perfect is very stressful, I think. So let go of the perfect because it doesn't exist and it's stressing everybody out and who needs the wrinkles and the gray hair, right? <laughs> That is so beautiful. I love that. I just have to share last week, I was not so happy to have to do dishes. It's actually one of my son's chores. He wants a cell phone. He does the dishes, but Mm -hmm. he hadn't done them. Right. So I was standing there in the morning, one morning doing some dishes so I could have a bowl of cereal. So I'm standing there looking out the window and I see one of the cats, Fortune to be more specific, climbing the tree to go after a bird. And it just made me laugh. Because I saw this little young tree like bowing underneath his weight and him just doing his best to hold on to the branches (laughs) with no chance whatsoever of getting this bird because the tree was going to collapse before he got to it. But it was the break I needed in the morning. You know, the humorous break. Yes. I was going to say I had to do dishes, but I got to do dishes. Thank you for the reminder. I my got pleasure. to do dishes and I got to watch my cat being an idiot in the backyard. And the cat in no way thinks he was an idiot, by the way. The no, cat does not, not think he was an idiot. The cat's like, I want the bird. That's where I'm going. And I think we could learn a, a lot reminder. from that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, will not, I will not be distracted by the tools around me. That my branch is not fully on board with this idea is not going to distract me from my goal of the bird, right? And how many of those branches do we climb sometimes and we just have to find a different route to get to the bird? Yes. And realize that the ground will never be steady. And I think that's one of the things, and I talked about this in one of the the groups that I host, I talked about how when you are running your own business, you're kind of always living in the unknown, which feels like failure. No matter how successful it is, it kind of feels that way. Because when you have a job, your boss tells you what to do, right? When we're in school, our teachers tell us what to do. If you want an A, this is what you do. When you have a job, the boss says, if you want to keep your job or get a raise, this is what you do. When you're running your own business, there's no one to tell you what to do. 
you know what you're supposed to do. Sometimes you don't actually, but even when you know, there's that we, we like rules. We like that structure. We're raised and conditioned on structure. And I think that is a lot of also where the angst comes from, right? Is what if I do this and I don't have a guarantee at the end? You know, what if I walk out on this branch and there's nothing at the, the bird's not there anymore or the branch collapses or all of these kind of things that we put in our way. And, and I'm not saying do the whole, uh, you know, I have never been to one of these, but I've heard about them where they talk about, you know, they have like the little two by four that goes between, you know, two buildings. Would you walk across it for a thousand dollars or a million dollars or whatever? Right. And I'm not saying, you know, take unnecessary risks that are going to be dangerous, but the reward is on the other side of the risk. And when you take calculated strategic risks, the rewards that you get are something you're never going to get sitting in a cubicle. And that's the reason that people are running their own businesses is because they want that reward that's on the other side of the unknown. We are walking a tightrope every day. And I never thought about it that way. Because I don't know Mm -hmm. that I would actually get on a literal tightrope. I I wouldn't. I have absolutely no athletic ability whatsoever. Do you have two left feet like me? I don't even know that they, I think they would need to be upgraded to be two left feet. Like <laughs> <laughs> there are days. It's so funny because people will always say to me, you're so calm and you always look so calm. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> I am not, you know, I can't dance. I, I am not one of those, like, I should never do that in public people. You know, I never dance in public. It's a courtesy to others. Oh my but, gosh. We should have a dance party of people just like us because I'm exactly the same way. Yeah, I, I would see them and I'm like, huh. And then I've realized, though, it's true that you know, there's a lot of people who can't dance until they, they drink. You know, when I see the videos on, on uh, YouTube or the, the Facebook Live, now it's really great for that. The people out at the club, they're like, look at that guy. He said he couldn't dance and now he thinks he can. Um, but I think that we're on that tightrope and we choose to be there. So if you're going to be there anyway, right, if that's where you really want to be, commit to the tightrope and also realize that it doesn't have to be a tightrope forever. It's going to come a point where you're actually going to be able to build a freeway and you might start on the tightrope, but the more tools that you build and the stronger how your foundation is, you're going to be on a much, much more solid footing. Shauna, have you read Life's Golden Ticket by Brendan Burchard? I have not. I'll grab it. I'll get the info from you when we're done here. And I would love to read a book you recommend. Yeah, listeners, I will put it in the show notes, which, by the way, you can find at thekimsutton.com. I forgot my own website for a second. Positive Productivity Podcast, where it's not about perfection. Thekimsutton.com forward slash PP026 for episode 26. And it's Life's Golden Ticket by Brenda Burchard. It's a fiction book, but it's phenomenal. It's a fast read. I mean, as mom of five, I got it done in six hours and my husband actually took it to work and got it done in five Loved wow. it, and wanted to know who he could pass it on to next. But they do actually have a tightrope sec- section in it. And uh, yeah, phenomenal, though. Definitely a recommended read for everybody, not just entrepreneurs. Fabulous. This has been absolutely amazing. But before you go, I'm really excited about your profit circle, which we talked about a little bit before our official chat here. Can you share with the listeners about profit circle, what it is and where they can find it and also where listeners can find you in general. And yeah. Yeah. 
For sure. Um, so my, I host a tool site at IWon'tGoBroke.com, and that's where I host uh, a profit vault where I store all of my online courses and programs that I have created. And I have a program, it's a membership program that is designed to be a show me how to do it. And it is the tools I wish I had had when I first started working kind of in the small business space, everything from how to start your company up legally. You know, a lot of times we start up, we're passionpreneurs and we start up and then we realize when you go to the bank and you explain to them what you do, that you don't have any real documentation to show for it. So everything from how to register your business right through to how to become profitable and then scale your business. And it's all broken down into what I call power packs, which are designed to give you the quick show me how to do it without spending a ton of money. And then I also host for my members twice a month. I host office hours. So those challenges that they're having that they think I'm the only one having this problem, they bring them and we work them out together. So it's something I'm super excited about. And I, uh, the membership is reopening, uh, I believe December one, we're going to reopen membership. We like to control the inflow so that we don't, I want to make sure I can service everyone who's there, right? It's online. So it is convenient and, and everywhere you go, you've got access. So it's not based on my schedule. It's based on your schedule, which I think is also really important when you're in this, you know, when you are fitting in running your business around working in your business, I think it's very important to have tools available to you 24 seven. Oh, definitely. Especially for people like you who get their major inspiration between 10 and three. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So I won't go broke.com. That's right. That will be in the show notes, which again, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP026. Shauna, thank you so much again. This has been incredible. Thank you so much for having me. As promised during my chat with Shauna, here is one portion of our pre-show chat, which I just found so valuable that I didn't want you to miss out on it. In this portion, we talk about Facebook fluff a mini meltdown that I had the night before, and a whole lot more. I do want to give you a heads up, however, that if you are listening in the car with littles around, I apologize in advance because I do let a curse word slip out of my mouth. I love your uh, honesty in your podcast. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. I love the podcasts that I listen to because they're very honest, but I'm, I sort of got tired of the fluff on Facebook. Yeah, I was spending so much time. And to be totally transparent, I broke down on my husband last night, because I just told him, I'm tired of seeing these people talk about their $500,000 years, because I think they're full of shit. And I don't they are. very often. Yeah, a like, lot of a, a lot of them are. And a lot of them are. And this is one of the things that I'm trying to fight, honestly, with my, the people in my demographic, is it makes them feel like crap, that feeling that you were feeling, I am so sick of people feeling that because other, you know, because of the few people, and there are people who have half million dollar launches. I was very fortunate. My business took off very quickly. I made a lot of money out of the gate. It doesn't happen all the time. I learned how to do it and repeat it. But I think those people walk in, first of all, a $500,000 launch, you had expenses. You did not net out at $500,000. And nobody ever says, Oh, I made, you know, $100,000, but I had $99,000 worth of expenses because that's not as impressive. But, you know, they like, 
they kind of announce the top line and they forget to talk about the bottom line. And I think if you're going to celebrate the top line, that's fine. But then be honest about it and don't make people feel like crap. It just drives me insane. Yes. That's my rant. Sorry. (laughs) No, I I totally appreciate that. And before I tell you the next part, and I want to be respectful of your time. Before I tell you the next part, I need to preface it by saying that my husband is from the trailer park. So please don't think I'm like insulting trailer park at all of this. However, I being an Infusionsoft certified partner, I notice things like footers and what information people are including in there because it's can spam law. Like you're, yeah. you're supposed to include your address. Well, I noticed, I'm not going to name any names, that somebody in that $500,000, million, you know, that's what I make every year and here's how you can do it circle, had a fake address. And I didn't write a rude email. I, I just said, hey, I don't want you to get fined. You know, I noticed that you have a one, two, three, somewhere lane, any town USA. And that... Uh- if somebody reports you, that could be 25000 I know you work really hard for your money, just like I do. So you might want to consider changing it. Yeah. No response. But the next day when I got an email, it was updated. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm glad that they're protected now. You know, they have one. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, I kept on getting the emails and kept on seeing these posts. And I was just like, hmm, I wonder where they actually live. So I Googled it. And it's seriously like a trailer in the middle of what looks like a whole bunch of junkyards. And it's just like, something doesn't add up here. Unless they've got a post box in the middle of it, maybe. I always right. think, you know. No, there's no post office there. It's like, yeah. I mean, you can see the piles of trash. It's like, okay. And the other problem, the flip side of that, is they're making people feel like, like let's assume that that is someone who's exaggerating greatly or someone who says you know i'm making a lot of money and i'm giving it all away and i'm willing to live in a trailer park whatever their story is right like that could be their thing they're like i'm gonna make millions of dollars and i'm gonna live on ten thousand dollars a year and this is how i want to be and that's cool which is absolutely cool yeah right um but if let's say they're living there because they're not making any money they every single day of their life wake up with a lie and it is so hard to maintain a lie and that is my mission in life. Aside from I want everyone to be rich, I want people to get out of the lie because that lie is what's stopping people from being successful and it's driving me insane. Oh my so- God. Can we talk so much about that in the, in our chat? Because yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think that so needs to be addressed. And my my mission with the podcast, and I haven't really discussed it much, is just to keep one person out of the mental hospital. If I know that I, and I don't know how I would ever know, but just helping one person get back on a personal and professional care plan that keeps them from working all night and all day and prevents them yep. from going to the mental hospital. Yes. That's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Would I like to make some money doing it? Absolutely. But that's that's my focus. Yeah. And there is, that's a huge market and there's lots of money to be made and making money does not make you a bad person, which is the other problem people have is we've got all this stuff around actually making the money is I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I'm, you know, cause a lot of particularly women are conditioned to be supportive as opposed to, you know, as we're brought up. Right. Oh, um, and I'm woman and Christian, which yeah. adds in a double, like, you shouldn't be making money, but I right. actually have an awesome Christian business coach who's like, nothing says in the Bible that you shouldn't make money. 
In this second portion from our pre-show chat, Shana and I discuss competition and knowing who our ideal client is. I am not a believer in competition. Neither am I. Thank you. I love that. I refer people like when I'm like, I don't know that I can help you, but let me find someone who can. My goal is to help people. And if I can be of best service to them by finding them someone who's not me, then that's what I do. So, you know, as a child, I watched Miracle on 34th Street where Santa is giving referrals to other stores that actually have the toys. Yes. And that's totally what we need to do as business owners. It is because... I think, first of all, there's no point in trying to service someone who is just not a good fit. And I think um, depending on the offerings that you have, right, for instance, in your podcast, is it important that every person who listens to it shares your exact same points of view? No. But if you were, if they were to be a one-on-one client for you, I think that's very important because you can't be of great service to them and they're not going to get their money's worth. You know, absolutely. There are times that it's less important, but I think that fit is so, so important for pretty much everything. But particularly in business, when you're looking at allocating your business resources, like your dollars, I think that's so important. Hey, this is Kim Sutton, host of the Positive Productivity Podcast. And I just want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard and you want to share with others, please feel free to do so. I'd also appreciate your comments, your reviews, your ratings, and you can do that on iTunes or Stitcher, or even by clicking through to my website at thekimsutton.com and just leave a comment down below the podcast. I also want to invite you to send me questions at any time that I can address on one of the future episodes. To send me a question to address on a future episode, just visit my website at thekimsutton.com and click on the contact tab at the top. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I wish you a day filled with positive productivity.